Hey guys, welcome to Mike It Up. The mattress industry's return policies have changed dramatically over the past five years or so. We think they need to be rethought again. We'll tell you why in today's episode. Stick around. Welcome to Mike It Up with GoodBed.com's Jeff Cassidy. So when that's the case, it becomes harder just psychologically to make a change. And Mike Magnuson. If you're doing those things, you can be competitive long term. Just when you thought these number crunching data lovers couldn't get any nerdier, they started a podcast. And I know this is pretty controversial, but this is why we're having a podcast, right? But if you want to be smart about how the mattress shopping journey is changing and what retailers and manufacturers should be doing about it, well then, man, have you ever found your people? Because right now, it's time to mic it up. You make these things outside? <laughs> well, yeah. So I like to make stuff in general. Um, when it involves a power tool, I have to do it outside because it generates sawdust, or in this case, it will generate PVC pipe dust. So I can't do mm. it. In, I can't do it in the loft. So I do it on the on the roof. But power tools in the rain is generally not a good idea. Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So cool. Still with it. Still with the cardboard boxes for the laptop stand at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, that's season one. That's season one of the Mike It Up podcast, you know? Making it happen, <laughs> whatever way we can do it. Yeah. So let's get, let's get into today's topic, because this, uh, this is kind of a personal pet peeve or pet topic for both of us, I'd say. We both care a lot about the environment, but we also care a lot about consumers, and we care a lot about the businesses in this industry and their financial health. And this issue kind of ties into all of those. And so it's become something that we, we just we talk about a fair amount and we and we think about. Uh, and so to, in, in, we're going to break this into two episodes in our uh, <laughs> uh, ever, ever failing effort to keep this content snack sized. But uh, but we are going to we're going to talk about today kind of the case for change, why we think that there needs to be some change, because it, it feels like we're on a path that's not altogether sustainable as it relates to the volume of returns. So we're going to talk about that today. And But before we get into that, uh, I think we want to just set the stage by talking a little bit about how we got here. Just very briefly, remind everybody that pre-Casper in the, in the quote BC era, you know, uh, one or two years BC, we didn't really have a whole lot of returns in this industry. Uh, return policies, uh, often included things like restocking fees and other kind of penalties that that uh, basically prevented people from wanting to make a return. Uh, there was probably good reason for why those return policies were written that way because the returns, obviously, when mattresses get returned, typically they require they have to go get picked up. Obviously, uh, there's if they're going to be resold, if they can be resold at all, I should say, they have to be, you know, refurbished or treated in some way, and and even then they're going to get marked down significantly. And so, they they there was a lot baked into kind of hopefully uh, minimizing the the amount of returns, and that showed up in the in the overall number of returns. And some retailers didn't even accept returns at all. Um, although that's probably still true to a degree that there are some retailers that don't accept returns. But I think that the number of retailers in that category has fallen precipitously in the last five years, I'm guessing. And so uh, that's kind of, and then Casper comes in. And, and again, uh, in that BC era, not a lot of business being trans transacted online. And in large part, that has to do with the fact that 
people can't try the product before they buy it. And so one of the things that Casper, one of the sort of business model innovation elements that Casper introduces is the idea that you can return the mattress at no cost. You can try and you can try it for up to 100 days. So that's they come in there. That's meant to address this concern uh, with having to buy the mattress without trying it. And it's uh, a, you know a very effective tool. In fact, Casper in its early days finds it so effective that they they basically lead with it in their marketing. If you remember Casper's early marketing from that 2014 2015 timeframe, it was like if they had six words to to tell you about Casper two of them are going to be about the return policy or something, you know. Yeah, because or, the, or, the, the other four were perfect mattress for everyone. <laughs> yeah, it was like perfect mattress for everyone. Try it free or try it free for 100 days. I mean, that so that's like less than 10 words, half of which are about the return policy. I mean, they really, really led with it. And that's because it was effective. They found that it was effective. And I, I think at some point, maybe after a year or so I remember of their evolution I remember that they reached a point where they kind of found it to be still effective but they'd started to see the problematic elements of it where the returns by having led with it so prominently people were taking advantage of it too often and it was becoming an unsustainable economic so they were trying to uh, come up with ways to prevent returns once people had it and that wasn't working enough so then they started backing off of it in their marketing they obviously didn't change the policy but they they just decided to put other things more front and center in the marketing message uh and and of course other people in those early days it was kind of like what casper did everyone else followed suit um that was sort of the story but um but nonetheless that 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 idea of free returns has has persisted i mean that's an integral that still remains an integral part of the online mattress shopping kind of expectation that has been set. It's really the anti. You can't. I don't know that today there's any other model that's out there in use in any prominence in the online space. Right at this point, it's just cost of doing business. Nobody's Correct. gonna buy. Nobody's, nobody's gonna buy if um, if you don't have a policy like that. And we actually continue. If anything, we continue to see people upping the ante on that. You know, moving to. 365 day trials instead of yeah. 100 day um, or or in so, the beginning it was 101 days no that's remember, true remember that? <laughs> yeah that was 120 101 that one and then it was 180 day. and then and then yeah then the people went to uh the 365 and and truthfully it doesn't really matter all that much when you're offering a, a mattress because at this point these guys uh oftentimes are not even going and bothering and picking it up they're not doing anything to recoup that cost so it's you might as well let people keep it longer if that's going to make more people comfortable buying it. Uh, and as long as you don't feel like people are serially abusing these things. Uh, but that does kind of lead into the some of the concerns because what's what we've seen is that there is some abuse and, and, and some of it is flagrant. I was quoted in that Wall Street Journal article um, that I... Uh, kind of uh, was worried about it, that article even being written. I was, <laughs> I remember I had some concerns. Was, should, should you right, really that, be putting this idea gonna, in people's head? But that I was going to plant, plant the seed for more people to abuse yeah, the yeah, system. The, the, the article, the premise of the article was 
that people are are going to are gaming the system such that they're able to just get a free mattress by just riding this wave of one return trial after another um, and and then just continually serially returning these things and she hadn't found actually a lot of cases of it that was the other thing i was i was trying to explain it, it wasn't super prevalent at that point um but uh, right. she had it was, found it enough. It was basically, basically one guy in New York, right? Yeah, she had she had like one guy who was able to that she could she could quote. I think maybe maybe two, or she had one person who had done it, and then one person who thought about doing it. I think was what she had. Yeah, and but she she was she was targeting the the serial abuser, like the that's right. lifetime lifetime free renter of a mattress, as opposed to what we're going to talk about today. And and that and that really is, I think, a rather thankfully has been a rather isolated problem. Uh, yeah. And uh, in, even in spite of that article being out there and perhaps turning people onto that concept. But that, that uh, thankfully, that, that, that has remains a pretty, pretty isolated problem. And, and people, by the way, other people in that, who commented in that article were pretty critical of that. I mean, cons- actually, the commenters on the article, I think that's who it was. It wasn't so much the, the people quoted in the article, it was the people who commented on the article were super critical of the the almost the person who was written almost as like the hero of the story, who was this guy who who had pulled this off successfully for a couple of years, and and he was kind of um, a little bit glamorized in this story. I kind of felt, uh, and people in, in the comments were not having it. They were like, "That is." That's a terrible thing for a human being to do. <laughs> it's terrible to the businesses. It's terrible to the environment. It's terrible to... I mean, they, they, they were not having it. No one was celebrating this guy. Which um, is great. So, which is awesome. Yeah, that was humans showing their good sides there. So, um, but, but there's another form of abuse that's much, much more common. And it's, it's people who think they have good intentions and they think they're using these return policies as they should be used. Clearly, that guy knew he wasn't using the return policies as they were supposed to be used. But, but people who are trying to decide and pick the right one, they, they earnestly believe that they're using them as they should. Um, and sometimes they get so carried away, they'll, they'll tell us, okay, like I bought four so that I'm going to try them all and then I'm going to pick the one I want. And like it's a like it's shopping for shoes on Zappos. And that is just atrocious. And and the thing is people don't necessarily realize and this is what we explain to them when any whenever a situation like that comes up on our YouTube channel or on our website, I take it as a very clear opportunity to educate anyone reading that 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 is a terrible thing to do. Uh, because I explain that the system right now is is saturated. See, these consumers are led to believe that the mattress that they don't want, that they don't that they return, will be donated. So they almost think of themselves as like, oh, I'm like a mattress philanthropist. I'm out there like creating new mattresses for people in need here with my, you know, shopping here. And and that's just not the case. The system is 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 pretty much saturated. Uh, there's already like a lot of friction around who can accept mattresses once they've been opened. In some states, no one can. And in many states, there's a lot of regulations around that. And, and even once you get beyond that, there's just the people who can accept them 
they've been getting so many over these last few years. They just they're flush. They don't need more. And so that's the reality of where we are is that there's the system is is saturated. People don't understand that and and they don't understand that the 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 next implication of that is that at best a mattress gets recycled. But more more likely than that even it's a landfill situation or or something like that. So yeah, I I was talking with one of our uh local discovery partner retailers and um he brought up a, an interesting point which is during because of covid there might be some opportunity they're seeing um some local organizations and nonprofits popping up that are are taking mattresses again so that's good yeah so there might be opportunities for some of those to come in but that will just be a temporary blip i mean the volume of returns is so big that it will quickly outpace whatever whatever new opportunities to help covid created it will quickly right and then of course that as the online channel continues to gain share the volume of returns being created continues to go up as well so so and and by the way so how what is the kind of volume of returns we're talking about i mean i actually haven't done the math in terms of like the absolute number but we have done some math to pencil out percentages of of uh, like what are the return rates for these online players when casper went public in their s1 there was a lot of data about this that was available for the first time and i parsed through it and it wasn't a number that they provide however from the data that they do provide we were able to put some parameters around it like an upper bound and a lower bound and come up with kind of a a comfort zone where we felt like the, the, the right number probably lives and we thought that that number for Casper was in the 12 to 14% range at that time. That was about a year ago when they went public that we, that we made that estimation. So I still think that that was about the right number for Casper at that time. We've heard from people who know um, these things or, or are in a position to know that some people are as high as 20%, or at least for periods of time. I don't know how sustainable that is, but that's, we've certainly heard that from multiple sources, that that's kind of an upper bound that's been out there. And we know for a fact that the people who have, say, a 5% return rate, which, by the way, by historical standards, going back to that, that quote-unquote BC era that I was talking about before, before Casper, uh, that would have been off the charts, 5% return rates in the, in the 2013 timeframe. But today, that's, uh, if you're an online mattress retailer, that's, that's so good that you're bragging about it in your marketing. Right. Well, just recently, Resident took in a bunch of funding. There was an article, I think, in Forbes. Um, and one of the things they, they touted, one of the founders touted, was um, part of getting their effort to get profitable was they've reduced their returns to an industry leading below 10%. So right. that was at the time that we're recording this right now. I think that was just a week or so ago. Right. So below 10%, I mean, that means probably high single digits. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So nine point nine five. Right. Well, I don't, and, and I don't know that that is really necessarily industry leading, but uh, but it's hard to know because these aren't public numbers. But but certainly we do know that if you're in the single digits, that is bragging territory. We've seen that consistently. Um, anyone who has told us, yeah, we're we're at eight percent, we're at nine percent, they're proud of that number. So. That just tells me, I think, that where Casper, where we calculated Casper to be in that sort of low teens, that's probably about normal for where these online return rates are. 
And so that's, that's pretty high. And let's talk about some of the costs of that. First of all, it's not great for consumers from the standpoint of the hassle of going through a return, right? Like, so if that many consumers are having to experience a return as part of their purchase journey, that's not ideal, right? Second of all, it's, it's bad for the environment because we talked about the, the fact that a lot of these are, are going to just inevitably end up in landfills. And it's also, uh, it's, it's obviously bad for the industry because the, the frustration and hassle that consumers experience as part of this gets baked into their impression of the, the experience and of the industry. Uh, and, and obviously the, the costs have to be borne by the companies. Now, those costs are oftentimes passed on, passed back to the consumer in the form of higher prices. So that that then creates another reason why it's also bad for consumers. So it's just kind of not good. There's really, there's really no good in this, except for the fact that it does grease the wheels to get people comfortable making the purchase. So that that part is good. Or if you're FedEx. <laughs> it's great for FedEx. That's true. It, it is great for, although although I'm not sure any FedEx driver would say it's great. <laughs> yeah. I think those guys pretty much hate the mattress industry from what I can tell. They like cheap foam ones. They, they don't, they don't like. <laughs> I will tell you that they particularly hate being on the route that serves me because, <laughs> because we get so many mattresses. And uh, in fact, there's even been times where just we get other people's mattresses because they see a mattress in their truck and they just assume <laughs> it's for me and they just put it in front of my garage. <laughs> I'm sure, Rachel, I'm sure so, Rachel really likes that. She loves it. She's about as, uh, about as much as your microphone in the, in the office there. There's so much that she loves about this business. It's just... <laughs> Where to even begin? <laughs> but uh, I'm am surprised you're still married. Uh, <laughs> bless her heart. Yeah, she's she, she's been a she trooper. Put, she puts yeah she has she hasn't cut you loose yet. So <laughs> she's been a trooper. So um, yeah. So the bottom line is this is uh, this is this is not good. But the in terms of the the case for change, I mean. You have to consider that, again, all of these negatives I just outlined are offset by the fact that there's a real business rationale for it, which is that it, it helps, you know, it, it created the industry in a sense. Like, there's no way, I don't think, that if you took free returns out of Casper's value proposition, that, that the online mattress or, or, and, and all of the other Casper followers... If you took that out of the value proposition, I don't see how the online mattress industry ever takes hold the way it did. So it is it obviously was critical and and remains critical to a large degree. But at the same time, it's gotten out of hand. And I do think that, so in terms of the case for change, my perspective is that given the fact that end of life for mattresses is already a problem. Like what to do with mattresses that are at the end of their life. That's already a problem. The Mattress Recycling Council has been working on this, trying to get more recycling programs, trying to help connect consumers with recycling centers. But even that is challenged, right? Like there's there's only three states that mandate it. Um, the they're, they're the ones that have the highest recycling capacity. Uh, other states are going to be much much lower capacity to even handle returns. Uh, or recycling, I should say. 
getting mattresses to the recycling facilities is a is a huge friction point what to do with the materials extruded from the mattresses is a huge friction point i mean if it's a a spring mattress the steel component that's easy but really everything else i mean there's a few other components that are more readily um reused but the foam which is the vast majority of the online mattresses right a lot of them are all foam that's probably one of the harder things to know what to do with there's only a certain number of uses for that today so there there's a more of a systemic problem of of creating how do you create more applications for recycled foam that's that's not something easy to solve per se (laughs) that's that Mm -hmm. takes kind of lots of companies innovating and doing things i mean there's there's just like a systemic type of change that needs to happen for that so so recycling's not going to get us there even if we had recycling in every state which even that would take probably decades <laughs> given how mm-hmm. how far we've come uh, so far in just um getting to only three states with recycling programs so it's recycling is not going to get us there entirely in terms of addressing this problem it helps but the yeah but it, it, it there's also a cost to recycling that's right? true so you have to build that infrastructure you have to run whatever plant is going to do it so just that it's wonderful we need recycling but the concept of oh it's okay if we have recycling doesn't make any sense right right and even right. if even in a perfect world where you had recycling centers everywhere there was no friction in getting your mattress to a recycling center and all of the materials in the mattress could be recycled. Even in that perfect scenario, which is so far from where we are now, it's still better to just not have made the mattress right. than to right. have to recycle it and, and, and reuse it. Clearly, we need recycling and I'm a huge fan of recycling, but it's just it's not fair to expect recycling to be able to solve the whole problem. Correct. And sometimes I think I, sometimes I think consumers... They feel that way. Like the problem just goes away if I exactly. recycle. That's not that's not the case. And and so end of life was already an issue for this reason. And it's only increasing as an issue as we see mattress lifespans shortening. That's a huge drive that that's kind of the key driver mm-hmm. of that particular issue. Like end of life is how long are people keeping these? So if they right. used to keep a mattress at least ten years, maybe twelve and now they're keeping them five to seven, well, that's already twice as many mattresses per year ending up in landfills effectively. So if that continues to shorten, which as we've talked about in previous episodes, we talked about the ultra cheap mattress issue and people being a segment of consumers being trained to think of mattresses as a disposable product. Well, shit, that really increases that that turnover and therefore the number of mattresses ending up in landfills. But on top of that, there's a multiplier effect here, which is that if we also are adding a return policy based multiple, every time someone makes a choice, every time someone buys a new mattress and replaces their mattress, then basically let's say we had doubled in the past few years because of, uh, people keeping their mattresses less time well if now 20 percent of people return their mattress every time they change mattresses well that that turns that that adds 20 percent to that already higher number we've already doubled it and now we add 20 percent to the doubled number so that's that's it's a huge compounding issue here that we can 
really do something about, I think, as an industry. And I guess where I'm going with this is that the case for change is to me that I, I don't see a scenario where at some point people don't wake up to this. You know, with the growing consciousness of global warming and the glowing measurable, visible impact of global warming and of just env environmental consciousness, our collective consciousness as it relates to the environment and our responsibilities, as that continues to grow, I just don't see a scenario where at some point this doesn't just become a stain on the mattress industry. Yeah. Like where where well, people another... where people just go, what the hell? What what why is this happening? Right. And the what you hit on so far is the issue of the volume, the volume of mattresses that are hitting end of life. There's also the aspect of what environmental impact went into making those in the first place. So all of that foam that we're trying to recycle is also a petroleum based product. That's right. So it's it's it, it's even yeah the worse. carbon footprint of you know, these things is 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 not low and they've been transported and sometimes across an entire ocean but certainly in every case they're transported regionally right and so it's whatever um, fossil fuel went into the foam itself and then whatever the emissions are and the cheaper the foam tends to correlate with the more pollution from the plant from which that foam was made from which that mattress came so it's just and and as we talked about ultra cheap mattresses and prices going down and lifetime going down you're just creating more and more volume that has multiple ways that it's bad for the yeah. environment and not to mention that you know the the it, to the extent that mattresses that are using more chemicals in their manufacturing are the ones ending up in landfills that's even worse too. That's because that's just leaching more stuff mm -hmm. into the environment as they as they slowly decompose over thousands of years or what have you. So uh, that's bottom line. What we wanted to cover here is is our belief that there needs to be some deep thinking for the industry, and I I kind of equate this to the warranty question that uh, that the industry wrestled with for many years and I think kind of ultimately came to some collective change on a few years back. I mean, I don't know how it's not it hasn't necessarily taken hold across the entire industry, but but there was some collective change a few years back on the idea of warranties. Why are we offering 25-year warranties on everything we make? Why are we setting consumers expectations? That a mattress should last 25 years and then telling them that you should keep your mattress for five to seven years and there but there was a question of the reason i equate it to that is because in inevitably if you're going to make a change to this it's going to be kind of a, a game of chicken a little bit right like who's going to move who's going to move first <laughs> because otherwise if only one person moves everyone else could pounce on that and then it becomes sort of a prisoner's dilemma type of thing where you can't get anybody to do the right thing so and and so everyone does the wrong thing and that's worst that's the worst case outcome for everyone but if only one person does the right thing that's terrible for them so warranties were sort of similar in that regard because they were being used as a marketing tool 
And so it was the kind of thing where everyone sort of agreed, yeah, in a perfect world, we would shorten these things a lot, especially on cheaper products that we really don't build to last, you know, even more than five years. So, but, but who's going to, who's going to blink first? Who's going to do that? And, and how can we feel confident that others will follow the suit and commit to it? And, and so it required kind of that, kind of the industry collectively making a decision. And I think that return policy is a tricky type of issue that short of some, you know, regulation coming in, I think it, it may require something like that. So we're going to leave that for our next episode where we're going to talk about some ideas we have on that front. But I think that the point of this conversation here today was really just to make the case for why we think that that discussion should happen. And, and that probably now's the time to start thinking about that and discussing it. Yeah, I don't know if it makes sense to cover now or in the next topic, but um, if, you, if you think about it, it makes sense that the consumer hasn't internalized this problem. And that's because the same reason we talk about if you it doesn't make sense to do a, a TV ad because you're paying for 100, uh, 100 people to see the ad, but only one of them's in market. So likewise, only one person out of 100 is kind of thinking about a mattress mm -hmm. at any time. So it's not a product that we're making transactions with every day. So the, I'm not thinking about recycling of it because I'm not consuming it in my mind yeah. all the time. It's just every eight years or whatever versus if it's the, you know, soda or beer cans, you have them all the time. And so it's a constant reminder, you know, every day, oh, I should recycle this. Oh, I should recycle this. But a mattress is not like that. So the majority of the population isn't thinking about it at any given time. So it kind of makes sense. But I think that that's more reason that it's incumbent on us to try to do something here. Well, it, but yeah. you highlight the challenge of, of using the media here, because that's uh, the media, I do think, needs to be part of uh, telling this story to consumers. And I, well, I think from the standpoint of averting the, the potential stain on the industry that I talked about, I think someone from the media focusing on this is likely to be a catalyst for that. But, but likewise, from the standpoint of um, creating this collective movement and, and coordinated change, I think using the media as a tool to educate consumers as that's happening will be an important part of the strategy. But in both cases, your point about the fact that this is not something the average consumer is thinking about on a daily basis does a little bit highlight the challenge there because it's, um, you know, the, how do you make this story seem pertinent to people who are not uh, focused on this right. product right now? But nonetheless, so there's, there's certainly things that, that the industry can do because getting people to think about this at the point they are uh, making their purchase is important. That's something that, so from, from the standpoint of good bet, we definitely think that we can help with this issue. And one of the ways is of course, by calling out bad behavior when we see it, as I talked about earlier, but also just discouraging bad behavior. And one of the, you know, I actually, I, I, I had intended to touch on this earlier, but when we talked about abuse, knowing abuse about like trying to do a, be a serial returner, that's one thing. And the next level down from that is abuse that's more has more good intent, but you're buying several with the intention of keeping one. That's still abuse. But there's even a more subtle form of abuse that's much, much, much more pervasive. 
And that is the person who just sort of blows off their research process because they're going to lean on the fact that they can always return it if they don't like it. They just say, eh, to help. my friend has this one. They said it's good. To hell with it. I'm just going to, I don't feel like researching. I'm just going to go buy this. If I don't like it, I can always return it. That's also abuse. And that type of abuse is super prevalent. So the that's the type of thing that we really feel like just our entire business model is designed to help solve and help improve. Because obviously our whole business is about helping people choose the right mattress for them the first time. So everything about what right. we do and supports the, that. On the surface, it could look to a seller of that mattress, oh, it's actually good what you just described because this person wasn't gonna buy otherwise, but now be, because we made it easy, they bought. The reality is you have to look at what's the expected lifetime value of that person. And those are the people who are way more likely to return. So they're way more expensive, so to speak, if you look at that group in aggregate. That's right. So it's in, it's in the, the brand's best interest to also make sure that they're selling to as many people for whom the bet is going to be. That's right. Well, because obviously their, so, their overall economics are the summation of all of their customers. But on any given customer, if a customer goes and buys a mattress from them and then returns it and then goes and buys a mattress from somebody else, well, they lost money. They clearly lost a significant amount of money on that customer. Not only, not only did they pay money to mm-hmm. acquire that customer, they also paid money to ship that customer a mattress that they didn't recoup yeah. at all. And they made the mattress. They paid for the mattress. Yeah, they didn't just pay to ship it to them. They paid to make it, obviously. But So uh, the they actually lost a lot of money on that customer. And, and so getting more of those types of customers is an unprofitable proposition for sure. And... So again, so we do think that we do, uh, I think the point I was trying to make in response to what you'd said earlier was just that we, we as Goodbet, I think we have a lot of things that we try to do to help here. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, we also feel like maybe there's a way we can play a little bit of a thought leadership role and be kind of a Sweden, hey, wearing my Sweden <laughs> flag shirt here as a proud, as a proud Swedish American. But the, if we can be kind of Sweden here, uh, we, we might be able to help the industry collectively move towards something that is a more sustainable solution. So that's, that's the kind of a tease to the, to the next episode. Cool. Well, why don't we wrap it there? And I'm also chomping at the bit to hear what happened with your investment that you got blocked out of by Kleiner Perkins yeah. and Sequoia. So, uh, so where we left so, that story off, if you, if you uh, haven't listened to the previous episodes, you should go back and uh, hear about my journey in podcasting, which began in 2003, 2004, before the term podcasting had ever even been coined. Um, it led me to ultimately be kind of in the mix with all the early frontier frontiersmen and women of the podcasting space, um, the pioneers, if you will, back in the 04, 05 timeframe and ultimately had a, a term sheet to fund uh, a business of the what was at the time the most kind of prominent group in the podcasting space, uh, which was led by Adam Curry, who was a former MTV VJ. And so we had uh, I'd been working with him and his business partner, signed a term sheet only to discover on a spring break that I took uh, like with my kids the following week that he then 
promptly flew to San Francisco, met with Kleiner Perkins and Sequoia, received a term sheet from them all while I'm on spring break that was uh, better terms <laughs> that I had offered him and that he had signed up for and come back and all this all this happens kind of while I'm in a, not in a position to really do anything about it. So by the time I get back, my partners had decided, okay, well, there's not really all that much we can do here. So we, we ultimately kind of just walked away gracefully from that situation. But, you know, what we obviously I followed the company in, you know, the I guess for those who were interested in how that played out, because you'd 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 wondered. Yeah, that's that's what I they didn't do well. They they stuck around for a few years, but Ah. they went down the wrong path, in my opinion. They uh, they went down the path of trying to just create a bunch of content. And it was too early for that at the time. I, I, I didn't believe that that was the right approach. That's not the approach that we had signed up to fund. Uh, and this maybe was part of why ultimately he went with them as well. I, I believed that the in the early days, you needed to be building tools. It's kind of like in the gold rush analogy, like the early days, it's like you got to be selling the, the Levi's jeans and the pickaxes. You're not, you know, selling the, the, the ultimate product here, the content. It was just there wasn't enough of an ecosystem for monetizing that content yet to be out investing money in creating content you needed that content to just be made on the cheap by kind of more organically and so forth and then you'd be the pickaxe kind of arms dealer that's creating the tools for them to support that uh, work and then ultimately monetize that work so the ad network and everything like that that's what i was hoping to back that's not what they ended up doing they went down the wrong path i don't think they had the kind of media mindset that you needed to have to to really kind of have the right strategy there. Um, but, you know, that was sort of cold comfort because I really wanted to be part of it and I really wanted to help them grow. And um, and and then the other closure, the other coda to that story, by the way, is that uh, maybe a year or two after that all went down, I, I bumped into Adam at a conference. He's super tall. He's like, I want to say like 6'4", six, 6'5". So he, he's, he's easy to spot from across a room and he had a crowd of people around him, you know, he's signing autographs and stuff like that. And I just walked up and he saw me like coming even. And I just walked up to the crowd and, and he just like stopped what he was doing. And he goes, Hey, uh, Hey, you know, that was just business, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I just walked away. So that's how that story ended. That was the last time I saw Adam Curry. Well, may- maybe he's listening now. Uh, he's probably a big fan, big fan of mattress, yeah. mattress podcasts. But uh, question: If that deal had gone through, and you would have been heavily involved in the company, or as as involved as you guys and your firm would get, do you think you would have started Good Bed? Had that Gosh, that's really hard to say. I mean, the, the genesis of me starting Good Bed did come out of a similar, as you kind of teased at one point earlier in this season, uh, did come out of a, a similar proactive investment thesis that I had. So it was something I was also kind of pursuing proactively alongside of my interest in what ultimately became podcasting. But um, I was looking at companies that were uh, doing much like what we do in various product categories. And I, along the way, I bought a mattress, 
discovered that that was a category that desperately needed something like this, kind of had that quintessentially bad shopping experience, all that. So I, it's hard to say because I was, I was not intending to join up with them. I was still intending to remain an investor. No, but you were, you was, were emotionally invested. I mean, you, it had been your, your idea, your thesis, you had pursued it. It was, uh, that wasn't the only saying. investment we did that was like that though. I mean, there were other investments we did that I spearheaded and was emotionally invested in and yeah, and they didn't become something I leapt into full yeah. time. It's possible this one would have been more alluring in that way than than others, but but those certainly didn't stop me from doing good bed. And so, it was ultimately the it was ultimately the fact that no one was doing this that led me to jump into this. It was the void. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll get we'll, We'll, we'll get to that more later. I was just curious if, like, the rest of the mattress industry, if we actually should say <laughs> thanks, Adam Curry, because you doing that ultimately gave the mattress industry <laughs> mags, and the mattress industry well, I is think, I think better what, for what, it. So. <laughs> I don't think that anyone's out there writing thank you notes to Adam Curry for that, but, the, uh, <laughs> but, the, but, but I think if there, if there is anything to be thanked for that, it's, it's again, it's the fact that no one was doing it. Because if, if someone had been doing it, my mindset would have been to back them as an investor. It was the fact that no one was doing it that made me feel compelled to actually start it myself. So... I, that was my intention from the beginning. Was was I, I, I'm going to look for somebody who I can invest in to to do this in the mattress category, for that matter, in lots of other categories that I had identified. Um, but again, there wasn't anyone. So that's what we have to to thank for this. And and certainly, my wife is super grateful of that. She's writing Adam Curry <laughs> all kinds of thank you letters slash hate mail. Rachel, she. She really is a trooper. I give her. I give her credit. <laughs> so anyway, so that's the, we'll leave that story there. That's really kind of is the 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 closure on that on that tale. But it, it just to come full circle, it is super fun for me to. I mean, I was a member of, of the New York City Podcasting Association starting in I think '05, and you know there was at the time like seven of us. There's as many as yeah yeah as many yeah. members as a, there are. It was listeners. a meetup, and there were like seven of us, and it was just like we met in someone's office, and <laughs> it was like nothing. If I went out to dinner after one of those, I'd say, well, yeah, I just came from this New York City podcasting meetup. They were like, what? What did you? What? No, no one had any idea what podcasting was. <laughs> Or but, and by the way, it took a long time for podcasting. You know, that's the, that's the other thing that kind of, if I would look back on that experience, it took a hell of a long time for podcasting to come into its own, much longer than I expected. I thought for sure when the iPhone came out, I was like, oh man, like now it's really going to explode. And it even then, it took another probably eight, nine years before it really had serious traction and and another like at least 10 if not 11 years before there was serious exits being seen you know in terms of acquisitions and so forth so it it was a long time coming i was i was ahead of the curve as as i was with goodbed <laughs> as 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 was as history has clearly witnessed and again as my wife can clearly attest to so to continue to reference that 
but nonetheless, uh, in both cases, uh, you know, I think that the the initial vision has proven to be to be on point, and the yeah. the need has been there in bo- in both cases. So that's one of the reasons but that that I that I uh, that I remain so convicted about what we do is because I know that there is a, a desperate need for this, and so it's just a matter of you know continuing to um, help people. Uh, help get the word out about w- what we're doing and help people understand mm-hmm. what our intentions are, you know, what our motivations are, that we are here to help good companies succeed in this industry. And we really believe we can do that alongside helping consumers make the best choice. And we've thought a lot about how to strike that balance and we're, we know how to do it. So I remain as convicted as ever in, in that mission. So is that the right word, use of the term convicted? I remain convicted. Uh, well, these these days, convicted has a different connotation. Yeah. <laughs> so hope, hopefully, yeah. hopefully, you're not going to be convicted about anything. But we we know what you mean. You have a lot of conviction and belief. Yeah, yeah. And and, and enthusiasm about what we're doing. No doubt. And rightfully so. All right, let's wrap. All right, there we go. We're already well past snack size. I hope you enjoyed this all-you-can-eat buffet. We'll be back with our solutions (laughs) to the return problem next week. If you like what you're hearing, remember to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use and leave us a review. It helps other people discover the podcast. In the meantime, we're out. We're out.